Thank you, worship team. And good morning, everyone. I'm really excited to open up God's Word with you. Um, I have a bit of a cold today, so if you're new at Grace, this is not my usual voice. It's a little bit deeper today, and it's a bit nasally, but uh, don't shake my hand today, okay? It's not good for you to shake my hand today, all right? So I'm the germ dude. I'm the one who's like, we have those quick, quick things in the back for, because of me, you know, those little, those little juice, the... The juice containers, what, what, what's that called? Right, the, uh, the juice container for the uh, sanitization of your hands, that. Those are there because of me. Anyway, um, look, I, I'm, I'm very well aware of how this works in churches. Um, and, and if you come to Grace all the time, you know how this works. You, you, you show up, you're looking great, and you sing some songs, and you praise God, and then... And then uh, we get up here and, and we read the Bible and preach. And I just realized how commonplace that could seem because it's, oh, this is the next thing. And I just want to, I just want to say, you know, when you're singing praises to God, first of all, that's not, that's not just like, oh, filler before a sermon. That's big. And, and reading the Bible, I like to say the scripture reading is the only perfect part of the worship service because God's word is perfect. Now, I might mispronounce some words, though, so it's not, you know, I'm not perfect in my reading of it. But this is the Word of God, and God has something to say to us today. And we're going to be in Malachi. We're in Malachi. We've reached the midpoint of Malachi. This is the fifth sermon out of eight. We're at the halfway point in this book. And I think we're far enough into Malachi where we don't need to mince words. We can just cut to the chase and say Malachi is not easy reading. Malachi is not for the faint of heart, and it is very strong medicine for, for people, for us. And it's about a faithful, loving, gracious, heavenly Father who is dealing with his foolish children. And that's us. It's very easy to read Malachi and go, oh, those people back then were so bad. Wow, those people had issues and have this kind of latent self-righteousness simmering just below the surface in our hearts and it bubbles up at the most inopportune times, doesn't it? So I want us to really take this seriously. I know you do. You take God's word very serious. But God is going to make his most serious comments yet in Malachi. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Mal- Malachi chapter 2. And if you, can, if you can stand with me, please stand. We're going to read verses 17 all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. It's only seven verses, but we're starting at the end of chapter 2. You'll notice, probably in your Bible, that a, there's a paragraph break, and 2.17 flows right into chapter 3. And then we'll also go to, to uh, chapter 3, verse 6. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, 
says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This is God's word, and let's pray. Lord God, we we come to you today, and we don't want to take your word lightly. Lord, we, we know that these are very serious comments that you are making. You are saying, not just to them 2,400 years ago, but to us today. I pray, Lord, that you would transform our hearts today. Lord, that you would change us. Lord, that you would give to us a sense of awestruck wonder at the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. And please be seated. If I had to boil this passage of Scripture down, I would, I would say this about it. That God's people are being delusional in their thinking... And God is denouncing that delusional thinking and declaring Jesus the Messiah as the only dependable answer. How do they get to this spot? I said that this was the midpoint of of the book of Malachi because chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 16, basically God is denouncing their sin. He's saying, this is what you have done. Now they're arguing back and forth with God. But he's telling them, this is what you've done wrong. But from where we are today, from chapter 2, verse 17, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 4, verse 6, it's God describing the consequences of their sin. Basically, the way out of the corner that they had painted themselves into. I mean, all the way through this book, God is saying things to his people, he is calling them out, and they are answering back defiantly. He says, I love you, and they said, how have you loved us? He tells them how he has loved them, past, present, and future. He says to them, you have despised my name, and, and they say, how have we done that? He says, you've turned aside from following me. They're like, prove it. How have we turned aside? And and then he says, I'm not pleased with you. And they're like, why aren't you pleased with us? We've been the perfect subjects. You know, Malachi is this, it's kind of like this hostile Q&A session between God and his people. And God is, is, is speaking and appealing to his people and they are just throwing it back in his face. I picture a court of law where you've got this 
uh, a witness on the stand. And there's the judge, and there's the prosecuting attorney, and the person on the stand is, is angry. They're just angry, and they're convinced that they are absolutely right, and that the way they're being questioned is just absolutely wrong. And they feel pressured and they feel cornered and so they display hostility. And so God is basically saying, I'm going to treat the witness as hostile. And here is this loving, gracious, merciful Heavenly Father appealing to His foolish children and He knows He's right and He knows they're wrong. And they are, they're delusional. It would be easy to say, well, they were just doubting what God was really saying. That's not it. They were thinking that they were absolutely right and God was absolutely wrong. And God is so merciful with them. He is, he is displaying the, the, the utmost in self-control as he reasons with them. And even, even though they're out of control, they're beside themselves and convinced that they're right. It would be very easy for us to read these words today and say, wow, those people were so bad. Those people had issues. It's a good thing we're not like them and all sorts of things like this. We must read these words very humbly. We must read these words not as casual observers of someone else's you know, train wreck or car crash. We must be actual participants. Sure, this was written 2,400 years ago, but God's word is speaking to us today. God is exactly describing us. He's describing our condition. We're just like the people of Malachi's time. And if we can't admit that, we can't admit that Malachi hit the nail squarely on the head, then we've got bigger issues than the people of Malachi's time. So, what I want to do as we look through this is is not talk about all about just what they did, but really apply it to where we live because we are. We're just like this. In this passage, God is revealing to them their their sinfulness, their, their sinful skepticism, really. Their delusional skepticism and he he responds the first verse by the way verse 17 he's pointing this out to them he says this is what you're being like then the next five verses verse verses one through five of chapter three he is responding in a very serious way the most serious words so far in malachi and then the last verse we're going to look at verse six of chapter three is really where god is giving them he's reminding them of the sovereign reason while they're while they are not um you know, simply done away with? Why is it that they're still around? Why is it that God doesn't just vaporize them because of their sin? And, and when we get to that, I think you'll understand um, how gracious God is. But let's start at verse uh, 17. First of all, God is revealing their sinful skepticism. God is exposing their a rant that they're, they just continue. It's a sinful rant against God, and it's, it's delusional. God says, you have wearied me with your words that's a very interesting thing here's the god who does not grow weary or grow tired and he is using hyperbole here and saying you are wearying me you're wearing me out with your words it reminds me of when my kids ask me for something and i say no and then they keep asking me and um one of my kids is in this service, one of our five kids, and, and she's never done that. And so you just need to, you just need to know that. And, I'm, and I'm, it's true. 
Okay, and and so Allie, you're you're off the hook here. It's just it's the other four, <laughs> and and here's the deal. First hour, Sophie was in the service, and she kept just going. I said, baby, you and me, after church, we'll go get some boba. Because here's the deal. I have enabled my kids to be, to be hooked on boba. Do you know what boba is? It's, yeah, boba milk tea. It's deliciousness. It's this chewy goodness with this amazing drink. Oh, it's awesome. And I have um, enabled my kids to be addicted to it. And so sometimes little Sophie will say, boba. And I'll say, boba. <laughs> and she'll go, no, boba. And she'll keep going, boba, 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 boba. And I'm like, Sophie, I said no, no boba. Now, because I embarrassed her first hour, we get boba this afternoon, okay? <laughs> I'm going to reward myself. I'm going to reward myself for embarrassing her. But here's the thing. That's, you think about a, a child saying, gimme, 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 gimme. That's not what we're talking about here. It would be very easy to go, oh, they were wearing God out because they were just asking so many times in a row. This is not what they're doing. First of all, they're not asking for anything. They're making accusations against God. So the idea is it's not the sheer quantity of words that they're bringing to God. It is actually the horrible quality of the words that they're throwing at him. So you need to see this and go, wow, God is really being patient with them. But he said to them, you wearied me. You are, you're complaining, you're accusing me, you're trying my patience. And I'm tired of it, God is saying. I'm, I'm tired of this. Isaiah 43, 24, God says, you've burdened me with your sins. You've wearied me with your iniquities. This is kind of what God is saying to them. You've wearied me with your accusations against me. He says, you've wearied me with your words. There was this buildup. There was this cumulative effect of, of, of their words on him. And it wasn't like someone just bugging or nagging you to get them something good. It was this fierceness, this horrible fierceness that they were throwing at God. And they ask. He says to them, you've wearied me. And they're like, how? So isn't that interesting? So they weary him with their words and then they weary him more with their words by saying, how have we wearied you? They don't get it. They are, they're delusional about their, their true condition. So God tells them how they did it. He says to them, you have called good evil and evil good. You are misrepresenting me. You're putting yourselves over me. You're loving yourself more than me. You're blaming me. People do this all the time, by the way. People love to blame God when something happens. They love to say, God is at fault. Why did God allow this? Why did God do this? And they will call God evil and bad and intolerant and hateful. In our, in our culture, the condoning of sin that just goes like wildfire, celebrating sin, coddling sin, does it not sound familiar? And not just out there. So you go, oh yeah, out there, uh-huh. No, in here. How about in your heart? How about in the way you think? How about in the way you process your, your, your relationships and, and even your relationship with God? They, they ask, where is the God of justice? He says, look, you, you call good evil and evil good, and then you ask, where's the God of justice? 
Where's the justice that's due those people for their sins? They're accusing God. I think of Jesus. It's recorded in John 18, but before the cross, here is Jesus on trial. The only perfect one on trial for his life, really for for our lives. And the question comes from, from Pilate to the people, what accusation do you bring against this man? He's talking about Jesus. What are you accusing Jesus of? And here was the answer. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So here they're calling the sinless son of God evil. The same thing that the people of Malachi's time were doing. They were calling God evil. And, and he's not just. He's letting He's letting people get away with it. Think about maybe how you, re- you reply or you respond to things in your life. Just to say something catastrophic happens in your life. Some, some upheaval. Something happens and you ask, why did God let this happen? You're accusing God right then. So you're hurting. We all hurt. We all have very many hurtful things happen. And then we get what? Emotional, right? We get emotional about our hurt. And it becomes very personal. And, and I tell my kids this. When they were younger, if someone was picking on them, I'd say, you know, that person that was picking on you is hurting in some way because hurt people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. And so God's people here are hurting. And so they, they hurt God. You know, today we... We see all around us people saying there is no God. Jesus says, the fool says that in his heart, that there is no God. I looked at a, a, the beginning of a video this week that I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Ten minute long video, and, and here's how it starts. At the end of this ten minute video, if you're a Christian, you will see how delusional you are to believe that God even exists. It's garbage. It's just absolute garbage. Uh, basically, people accusing God left and right of either not existing... People say he's, he, he doesn't exist, or he's distant. Okay, I'll give you that he exists, but he's distant. He's uninterested in the human condition. People are saying that left and right. People will say, you know, um, he's actually good and evil at the same time. A lot of religions in the world will say that. That God is good and evil at the same time, and that the evil you see in the world is a reflection of God. That's garbage. That's, that's just not true. And by the way, you don't really want justice. They say, hey, where's the God of justice? You can't just go, hey, I want justice to be applied, you know, in the state of Arizona, but not in California. Uh, Can we do this in a zonage thing, you know? Uh, Not where I live. I don't want justice here, just over there. You see, if you got what you deserved, you'd be in hell. Every one of us would be sent to hell if we got what we deserved. If we got justice, we would be be goners. (laughs) We'd be toast. You see, we want, though, God's love and mercy and acceptance and forgiveness and grace for us. For other people, though, vengeance. We want vengeance. One superior court judge said that no one really wants justice when they're in a court of law. The plaintiff wants vengeance. The defendant wants mercy. We want someone else to pay. We want justice when someone else sins. We want mercy when we sin. Well, look, we all suffer, we all hurt. We all have trouble reconciling the goodness of God with the problem of evil. 
But here God's people are accusing him of not loving and accusing him of actually liking evil and being unjust. I mean, mankind is delusionally sinful. This is a delusion. They're not just doubting about who God is. They are, they're delusional about who God is. They're sinfully self-righteous in it. They're skeptical, and they think themselves sovereign. They're basically flagrantly exalting their own autonomy above God. Think about this. Sin will run rampant in the heart of anyone who has not yielded to the lordship of Christ. It's just, it's going to happen. We bring nothing to the table but filthy rags. We're, we're lost, we're helpless, and we think we're right. We think we're just fine. We think that the problem lies elsewhere. Sin is like a parasite feeding off of good things. Sin is like weeds. Sin is like a virus. It's like bacteria. It's like cancer. And it eats away at your soul. One of the worst sins, by the way, that you can commit is what they were doing to God here. Is to say that evil in the world is a proof that God doesn't care about people. And it's an absolute delusional thought. So God is going to respond in a very serious way here. They had a very serious charge against God. Now he is going to respond in a very serious way. But what you'll notice is he doesn't just like vaporize them. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean and start over again. He tells them what he's going to do. So look at verse 1. The next five verses, God's responding in a very serious way. It is, it's, it's about the seriousness of God. Not a very popular subject, by the way, the seriousness of God. You may have never considered this idea of the seriousness of God. You say, well, wait, what do you mean the seriousness of God? Well, what I mean is that God is very serious about his glory. God is very serious about your sin. God is very serious about his salvation program in Jesus. God is very serious about these things. And so we're going to see how serious God is. The idea here is that there's this humongous sin that the people are perpetuating, and only God can deal appropriately with sin. He's serious about it. And what God's going to say is that, I'm just going to tell you what he's going to say, and then then we'll look at it. God is going to say, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're like, wait, we're in Malachi, aren't we? This is the last, I realize it's really close to the New Testament. But are you delusional? No. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. And Malachi is about Jesus. If you want to know the main point of, of Malachi, it's Jesus. You want to know the whole point of the whole Bible? Jesus. You're like, hyper-simplistic. It's about Jesus. I want you to see it about Jesus. I want you to, I want you to, to know that, that Malachi is all about Jesus and that Jesus is the main Malachi. Malachi means messenger. Messenger means Malachi. Jesus is called the messenger of the covenant. Jesus is the primary Malachi. So people ask God the question, do you love us? You know what the answer is? Jesus. Uh, people ask, answer, ask the question, where's justice? God's answer, Jesus took that at the cross. Most of your questions, by the way, can only be answered with my personal favorite, OGK. Only God knows. Only God knows the answer to the question. In his time, he will answer. But Jesus is the answer to your every question. Unless you say, you know, too simplistic, 
It's not good enough for me. I would say, well, your problem is the same as the people of Malachi's time. You have an argument with God and his word that points to Jesus all the time. Now, just like the people of Malachi's day, um, they weren't honoring God's word above their own word. Let's talk about the Bible for a minute. Where's the Bible from? Please let me know. Where's the Bible from? Louder than that. I need it louder. My ears are failing me. The Bible is from God, okay? Now, people are walking around all over the place and saying that they have a book from God, but it's not from God. It's actually from Satan. You've got the Book of Mormon. You've got all sorts of other books out there that people are saying, oh, this is from God. No, it's not. There's one book from God. Say it really loud. What's the name of that book? We call it the Bible. We know it as God's Word. And, and the Bible says that it is true, it, that it is all true. And the Bible tells us that God is going to deal with evil, in his time and and he did at the cross but the effects of evil and the effects of sin are still all around us we are still infected by it so let me just say this before we go further if you're suffering today and and it's and and by the way if you're suffering today it's because of the effects of sin maybe it's yours maybe it's someone else's maybe something's been perpetrated on you maybe someone has has done something maybe you've done nothing but this is just uh, even disease is uh, the effects of the fall doesn't mean you're at fault for it it just means that this is part of the human condition and Jesus is in the process of making all things new Jesus is in the process of reconciling all things to himself and one day we, if you're a believer you will be in a place with no sickness and pain and death and suffering and all the other things that we face in this life Verse 1, go to verse 1. God says, I am going to send my messenger. He says, I'm going to send a messenger, and the Lord's going to come to his temple, and there's going to be the messenger of the covenant. So let's figure out who's who here. The messenger is clearly John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So when he says, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, you're you're basically seeing a quote from Isaiah 40, uh, clear the way in the wilderness uh, for a pathway for our God. You're going to see Jesus in, Math- in Matthew chapter 11 clearly say of John the Baptist, this is he of whom it is written, Malachi 3.1. And he basically does Malachi 3.1. Jesus saying of John the Baptist, he says, of those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. So the idea here is that John the Baptist is the greatest mortal who ever lived. Jesus isn't in that category. Jesus is God. But in terms of humans that ever lived, no one greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because he was the forerunner right before the Messiah. He's the last Old Testament prophet. How do you know that a ball game is going to start? Baseball, football, basketball. How do you know the national anthem is sung. John the Baptist is singing the national anthem here. He's belting it out. And he's basically saying, it's almost time. When, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, God says, we're there. Now the people of Malachi's time did not know it, but there would be a 400 period, year period of silence. Right? Until the first coming of the Messiah. We're living in that, in that 2,500 plus 
years of, of silence before he returns. We're living in between his first and second coming. They were living before his first coming. So Jesus says, I'm going to send my messenger, John the Baptist. He's going to prepare the way before me. Then he says this, the Lord is going to come to his temple. He says, I'm going to come to my own temple. And by the way, John the Baptist, when he's, when he's talking about Jesus, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. He knew his place. John the Baptist came, you know what kind of clothes he wore? Cool wardrobe, by the way. What, what, what did John the Baptist wear? Yeah, crazy clothes. What did he eat? Locusts and wild honey. What a great banquet. So here's John the Baptist wearing the clothes of a penitent man eating the diet of a penitent man and preaching a message of penitence, of repentance, of, of turning from your sins because the Messiah is coming. And so then God says, the Lord's coming to his temple. Now, let's think about the temple. The temple was the place that you would go to worship God who is high and exalted. You would bring him adoration. The temple was the connection point between God and man. It's where you drew near to God. And God is said to be coming to his temple. So you need to repent. When you would go to the temple in those days, you would bring a sacrifice. There would be bloodshed. The priest would intercede for you. And, and all of that in, um, foreshadowed Jesus. All of that was pointing to the day when Jesus would come. He's the mediator between God and man. So when God says the Lord is going to come to his temple, this is referring to the first coming of Jesus. The first coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming to his temple. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. God dwells, God is going to dwell in his people, in his church. And the messenger of that covenant is Jesus. The messenger of, that, of this new covenant, Jesus, is coming. And then you go to verse 2. It's very interesting. You've got the first coming of Jesus in chapter 1. And now in chapter 2, the second coming of Jesus. God's also looking further than the first coming. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand? The answer is no one in their own righteousness. No one in their own strength. Malachi 4, verse 5 says, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Joel chapter 2, 11 calls it uh, the day of the Lord, which is very great and awesome. Who can endure it? You know, we'll go to a concert and say, that was great, that was awesome. We'll go to a party and say, that was an awesome party. That's not this kind of awesome. Great and awesome here is jumping out of your skin terrified. Great and awesome here is, is judgment. Great and awesome here is not some enjoyable day, but a, a terrifying one. It's a serious day, it's a sober day, and it's referring to the second coming of Jesus in judgment. So you've got in verse 1, this is the first coming of Jesus uh, to bring salvation. And then you've got in verse 2, the second coming of Jesus in judgment upon all those who do not obey him, all those who do not believe. So verse 1, the first coming, verse 2, the second coming, and we are living in between the two times. So let's talk about believers right now, and then we'll talk about unbelievers after that. I want you to jump to verse 3 now, and I want you to see two phrases, one in verse 3, one in verse 4. Okay? So verse 3... He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring, here's the phrase, offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now the phrase in verse 4 is, then the offering will be pleasing to the Lord. 
So the idea here is that for believers, that God is working in believers and saves them and cleanses them and purifies them such that when, when, when God sees a believer, he sees the righteousness of Christ and he sees that he is working in that person to conform them to the image of Christ. So these phrases, offering in righteousness and pleasing offering, really equals saved by grace through faith in Christ. Are you with me? You following me here? Now, let's think about the figures of speech that God just gave about a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. So you've got refiner's fire, first of all. Refiner's fire. That's someone who is dealing in molten metals, okay? Silver and gold. And silver and gold in, in, its, in its natural form is mixed with all sorts of, of not silver and gold. Unprecious uh, items, unprecious elements. So in order to separate the unprecious elements with the precious metal what do you need this is kind of participatory here what do you need say it loud fire refiner's fire very biblical answer heat you need heat don't you you need some fire and why to melt the metal in order to get the impurities out so they would be melting the silver or melting the gold and the impurities would would float to the top and the, the refiner would, would skim it off the top and keep on skimming till the metal was purified. And they kept doing that until they could see the reflection in the molten metal. Well, the idea for a believer is Jesus is working in you. God is at work in you to make you more like Christ. So all sorts of junk, what's, it's called dross, it's junky stuff, bad stuff, and God uses the heat with you to get it out of your life. Well, if you ever looked at my hands very closely, you'd go, wow, the, the, the hair on, your, on the top of your hands are, is singed often. Why is this? It's because I, I often singe the hairs of the top of my hands when I'm lighting the fireplace. It happens every time. I'm always surprised, but it happens every time. Basically, you turn on the gas, and then you stick the little fire starter in there, and I poof, and it's like... Ooh, yeah, that was bigger than I thought it was going to be. Happens every single time. And, and it's just the fire, the heat, and you don't want to get too close because you're going you're to harm yourself. But if you're a Christian, if you're fin- uh, believing in Jesus and you're trusting in the finished work of Christ for your salvation, you cannot be pure. You cannot be pure without the heat. God is a refiner. And he says, I'm going I'm I'm to use the heat on you so that you can be precious in my sight. So that you can be pure. And you can't get it without pain and heat. But we don't like the pain and the heat. Some of us spend all of our lives running away from the pain and the heat. And we don't grow and wonder why we don't grow because we're always not wanting the pain and the heat. And sometimes the pain and the heat comes because it's your fault. You did something and there's a consequence. But sometimes the pain and the heat comes when it's not your fault. Someone's sinned against you. Someone's done something to you. And you've got this, this, this fire going on that that's, feels like it's going to consume you, but it's because God loves you. And there's a guy that I've been reading, a commentator for Malachi. His name is T.V. Moore. He lived in the 1800s. 
But here's what he says. He says, afflictions are God's refinings. The purer the gold, the hotter the fire. The whiter the garment, the harder the washing. You in the fire right now? Some of you are in the fire right now. You feeling the heat? God turning up the heat in your life right now? It feels like too much heat? You're like, this is too painful? Well, it hurts, but you've got to know that God loves you, and that's why the fire is on in your life. And He is good, and He is kind, and He is merciful, and He is gracious, and He is loving. And there is a reason for the heat. I need the heat. You need the heat. We don't want the heat, but we all need the heat because it brings God's best out. So the question for us is not, God, why did you, did you allow that to happen? But how will you use this for your glory and my good? When I was reading this this week, I, my mind went immediately to 1 Peter chapter 4. And go there with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, there's something about this that just immediately I'm like, wait, this is just like what God said he's doing with his people when he was, t- when he was speaking through Peter. I like to say this often, but Bible pages turning is the best sound in the world. It's the coolest sound in the world. Bible paper is different than other paper. Have you noticed this? Bible paper is the best, and it sounds different. It's, it's so sweet to hear the Bible pages turning. But 1 Peter 4.12, here's what it says. Beloved, so God loves you. God loves you. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What Paul said, I, I want to I be conformed to the, to the death of Christ. I, I want to I share in his sufferings so that I may share in the glory. As far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Because glory is coming. You don't see it now, you don't feel it now, but it's coming. And, and then he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Well, no one likes to be insulted. insulted we, we like to avoid being insulted. But it says if it happens, then you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. But don't let any of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler, But if someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't be surprised at the fire which comes upon you for your testing because you're going to become more pure in God's sight. You're going to be more ready for what God has next for you. And you're going to become more like Jesus. And people are going to see his reflection in your life. You know, refining really signifies God's discipline of his children. And we, we always think, well, that means you did something wrong. It always has to be because you did something wrong. But discipline is not always correction for bad behavior. Hebrews 12 talks about this. It says, if God loves you, he's going to discipline you for your own good, that you would share his holiness. And... and 
In Christ, our heart's desire should be for, for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And, and how do you get holy? You depend on, on the Holy Spirit and you make wise choices. You entrust your soul to a faithful creator and you do what is right. The fire is good. Let's talk about the fuller's soap. Also good. Now, we, we kind of get the soap thing a little bit better. That soap is more pleasant. Soap is a little more palatable for us. It's kind of dealing with alkali, though, so it's a very strong cleansing agent. When I was a little kid, my grandpa had this soap that, I tell you, ripped skin off your hands when you tried to use it to, to wash your hands, but it worked like anything. And then there was the waterless hand soap that you'd be working on your car, and you use the waterless hand soap, and poof, all the grease is gone. It's awesome. But we are a people of soap, are we not? You've got, I got my hand sanitizer. You can use some too. There's soap for your hands. You've got antibacterial. You've got the ivory soap, Irish spring, dove, and all the rest. You've got shampoo for your hair. You've got soap for your clothes, soap for your dishes, soap for your car. So you clean things, and you want to get them clean, and, and you take a shower. By the way, thank you. Do another one tomorrow. Another one the next day. It's good. You do the dishes, you do the laundry, you do all these things because you want to get things clean. So God says, I'm going to be like fuller soap. The purifying, the cleansing, really signifies forgiveness. It signifies purification, that God is cleansing us from all our sins. You come to faith in Christ, you have forgiveness, past, present, and future. But it says that the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. You're kept in a, a clean state. Even 1 John 1, 9 says we've got to confess our sins to God and, and we walk in the forgiveness we've been given. But Jesus cleanses, cleans your life up. Jesus cleans up your life. He does it with me. He does it with you. But practically speaking, on an ongoing basis, sometimes we're filthy. Positionally in Christ, we're clean. We got the righteousness of Christ, but sometimes we like to play in the mud. And sometimes we feel really bad about our sins that we've committed. And we condemn ourselves for things we've done. We will even say, I can't believe I did that. You should believe it because we're capable, we're culpable. We can't believe that we would do that and we're haunted by our sins. Some of you are haunted by your sins. Some of you aren't growing in Christ right now because you're letting the remembrance of your sins flavor your entire life with Christ. And you walk around and you say, I'm too dirty. I'm too defiled. And it could have been from something you did or something that someone did to you. And that is not what God wants you to be doing. God wants you to know freedom in Christ, forgiven, cleansed, Washed in the blood of Christ. You say, well, but my, my, my former life was really, really bad. The Bible talks all about it. You were like that before. You're a new creature in Christ. When God sees you, he sees, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Sometimes you've got to force feed yourself heavy doses of truth to counteract your delusional thinking even when it's against you and it doesn't line up with what God is saying, what the good things God is saying about you. And by the way, it does matter what you did last week. And it does matter what you did last night. 
It matters. What you choose, what you say, what you do matters. Whether it was for or against God or for or against other people, it matters. God wants you to live, live a clean life. But in Christ, you, you have Christ's righteousness. You have forgiveness in Christ. And in Christ, we pretty much wear white. Revelation, the big marriage that's coming, the wedding that's coming. What's the bride wearing? White. Signifies the purity that is in Christ. And I want to say this. God says to you today, stop condemning yourself. You're in Christ. Stop condemning yourself for your sins. Those sins were condemned at the cross. The the work was finished, remember? So stop condemning yourself for your sins and walk in freedom in Christ. That will change your relationship with God and man. You stop doing that, you'll probably stop condemning other people for their sins too. God is serious about this. God is very serious about your sin. He's serious about salvation in Christ. He's serious about the purity of his church. And he's serious about your perseverance as a believer. That you would keep going in Christ. I like how 2 Peter 3.11 says, you know, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be a fire, by the way, that will come and destroy all the elements at the, at the last time. If, if that's going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be in, in living lives of godliness? So in Christ's church, you'll be engaging in love and friendship and, and um, service instead of mistreatment. Love means being willing to know and be known and even be willing to receive correction and change your behavior for the good of other people. Friendship is willing to to actually enter into someone's life and show that you're committed to their well-being and their flourishing. It's going to cost you. But believers, you've got to know, God already judged your sin at the cross. Now you get to verse 5. And you get to verse 5 and you're like, well, what's that about? That's about unbelievers and God judging you righteously if you're an unbeliever. He says, I'm going to draw near to you for judgment... And sorcerers will be in trouble. Those that are, you know, trying to force themselves to be God and, and force God to do things. And adulterers, they go against their marriage vows. And the sexually immoral and liars and oppressors. Uh, those who take advantage of the most vulnerable among us. Those who mistreat others. Basically all who don't fear God. Those that are fighting against God and rebelling against God and not wanting what he wants. See, some of you are on your way to damnation. Some of you are on your way to hell because you don't bow before Jesus and you will be separated from God forever. That last verse is a comfort. It's a comfort for believers. Should be, verse 5 should be terror to an unbeliever. But verse 6 is saying you have a chance to repent. Verse 6, God reminds his people while they're still around. Why he didn't just vaporize them? It's the sovereign reason why they endure. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. He uses his covenant name, Jehovah. It's based upon his covenant faithfulness. The reason they're still standing there is because God doesn't change. He's immutable. He's always loving, always kind, always merciful, always just, always gracious. And so, God's silence that we are experiencing before his return is a good thing because it, it signifies his patience. It even says in Second Peter, consider, consider his patience as salvation. The idea is God is being patient right now. This is a day of grace. And, and Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is 
is, the la- is God's last word. In these last days, God, God has spoken to us through his son. And people are like, I want to hear from God. You do not want to hear Jesus speak yet. Because what, the next time he speaks, it will be in judgment. He has spoken in grace. And now there's this, eight, there's this time of grace. And we don't know when the end of that time is. But it's a time that says all sinful ranting against God is going to end. It needs to end, but it will stop one day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we live in that huge time between Christ's first and second comings. And for believers, he is inviting you to keep trusting fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. And unbelievers, he is calling you to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. There will be justice for all. You will find justice at the cross by God's grace through faith in Christ or you will find justice at the throne of judgment on the last day because you rejected Christ. Lord, thank you that you are the one that has told us these things and these truths and thank you that you are the God of justice. I pray, Lord, that that, that we would, would, would give Jesus our sin and receive his full pardon. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would turn themselves over to you and give, give their sin to you and receive your full forgiveness. For believers, I, I, I acknowledge that the most painful things in life are, are really, really tough to deal with and are used by you to make us more like Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that our perseverance in Christ is guaranteed, not because we are so unchanging in our love for you but because you are so unchanging in your love for us and your eternal purpose and your promise in Christ Jesus Lord may we all find all our answers in Christ in his name Amen